I'm Kevin Moore, and welcome to another edition of The Moore Show, which is sponsored by the UFO Matrix magazine. On today's show, I'm about to be joined by our guest, May Pang, who is the former girlfriend of John Lennon and author of the book Instamatic Karma. So stay tuned, and I'll be right back after this music break. Mr. Show or a guest? Want to know more about The Moore Show and upcoming guests? Then log on to www.themoreshow.co.uk. And here's your host, Kevin Moore. May Pang worked for the Beatles management company in the early 1970s, and from there was hired as John Lennon and Yoko Ono's personal assistant. After her relationship with Lennon ended, Pang worked for Island Records and United Artists. In addition to photography, she designed a line of feng shui jewellery and furniture. May Pang, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Very well. It's a, it's a pleasure, and like I say, and an honour to be speaking with yourself. Now, May, let, let's start at the beginning for the people that don't know too much about the May Pang story. Now, how did you get the job of working with the management company that uh, represented Apple Records, uh, the management for the Beatles in New York? It's, it's a funny thing. I guess it's those uh, that saying, you know, you're at the right place at the right time. Um, I was just looking for a job and happened to be in the building of where Apple Records um, was located in, in New York. In fact, they just moved after 40 years. Um, and I just said, you know, I'm going to go up and ask them to see if they had a job. And uh, someone thought, one of my girlfriends who was with me said, you're nuts. I said, what could they tell me that, um, you know, that's going to be devastating if they say <laughs> no, I'm just right back where I started from. 
And in fact, I got upstairs and I thought, all right, I thought it was going to be a no because the woman behind the desk said, I don't think there are any openings. And I found out later she was not really the receptionist, but she was very good because all of a sudden it was lunchtime and I had no idea it was lunchtime and all these men were walking out of the offices and she just yelled out, she goes, this woman's looking for a job. Are there any openings here? And the guy said, yeah, come back after lunch. So, May, what so, was your job and how old were you when you sort of started it? Um... I was 18, about to be 19. I was 18 years old, and uh, my job really was in uh, the royalty department and tracking royalties. Well, I mean, that... I was starting out in, in music publishing area. Sure. On one aspect, anyway. Sure. It was great. But as time went on in the next few months, because the office was in such um, confusion and disarray because of all the, you know, they had just moved there and, and everybody... I was... I was... I was go a gopher for everybody you know meaning yeah. i went i worked in the legal department i even worked for alan klein so it just i was everywhere well you must have had the, well you must have had the coolest job to your friends at, at the time uh, in fact my friends couldn't believe it when i got home and i said i got a job and they said where is it apple <laughs> and they said what <laughs> and uh, yes it was it was great i worked very hard for it even though i didn't know a lot of um Skills. I didn't have typing skills. Didn't have, I bluffed my way through it, and uh, in the end, um, it, it paid off because I just I would come in early and stay, you know, and stay as late as I could, and then you know, and then I would I would leave. I was trying to learn. I was trying to pick up everything because music was my passion as well. Of course. So, so May, how did the uh, the transition for working for Yoko and John happen? Well, slowly the following year. Uh, the different Apple artists would come in. Now, Alan Klein managed Apple as a as a company, the, the parent company, and then he managed three um, three of the, the the main Beatles, which of course was George, Ringo, and John. And uh, so slowly, and and because of the Apple, we had all the various Apple artists coming over, like Badfinger and you know, yeah. and uh, Jackie Lomax. But it was it was. Um, the first uh, actual real significant artist that came in was, was Ringo. And I saw him, and, you know, he was only in for a day, and then he left. And um, the next one was George Harrison uh, with Patty, and, they, and he came with his, with, under his arm, his two-inch tape, his master tape of All Things Must Pass. And um, I was just lucky enough to be where they would they would say hello to me or they they knew I was the the rock and roller in in the bunch and I understood the music and every so often they would you know the management would say you deal with them wow what a fantastic <laughs> that, that, that happened the same way when yeah. John and Yoko walked in the door so i ended up dealing with them and um they when they came in uh in december of 1970 uh the first they were here to shoot some movies, um, a couple of movies. One was called Up Your Legs Forever, and the other one was called Fly, uh, two Yoko movies. And um, they, she was going to shoot it, edit, and she was showing it at the end of three weeks at the uh, Elgin Theater. Uh, it was an avant-garde festival. Yeah. So, I mean, who would you say hired you? Was it John or Yoko? And um, was that what you were working on? It, it was both. It was both, yeah. What sort of point did you start working for sort of John and Yoko as a sort of personal assistance? Well, I think as, as the year went on from the 70 to 71, there were certain things that were happening because they were working out of England. 
and every time they needed something, I was one of the uh, one of the people. There were a couple of us, but I was one of them that uh, they kept calling on. And um, and then I started going over to England and bringing over you know movie reels for them and things. And uh, and I stayed there, and I, I see myself in some of their movies, so it's kind of funny. Yeah. And then you know I guess as as they came back to be here more permanently and I was at the um and I was at their uh, working with them more you know on a more permanent basis that the office says well it's time to transfer you over to their care so that's how it worked now I've got to ask a quick transition but it de- definitely when they saw that I was there more often yeah. you know and not coming back to the office that was it yeah now I've got to ask the question mate now was there any chemistry between you and John already that Yoko was picking up on or you know, I'm the slow learner in this group here, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 I have to say, I think the only the chemistry that that I only saw for myself was the fact that I got along with all of them, and I, you know, I, I was so into my work that it never dawned on me because they were really they were both easy to talk to. Although it was Yoko that did most of the, you know, there was, uh, you know, she she had more to say. Than, than than John, she had more um, you know uh, things to do, and uh, but John and I would talk about music all the time. Sure. And uh, yeah, because because he he realized I was a real rock and roller, and we would talk about the old, you know, the all these old groups, and and he couldn't believe it that I knew that much about it. And I said, well, you know, when you have American Bandstand, and that's the only thing on television. You pick up on all that, you know. So, music so, was definitely my my savior. Yeah. So would you say you had the sort of same taste in music as John? Yes, we did. And then he taught me a few things that I'm, you know, he liked ska music, which was something I I wasn't into, but he loved that. Um, and I remembered. And you know, but when it came to a lot of the the old rock and roll, like you know, uh, uh, Little Richard, Chuck Berry. You know, yeah. and we had the same that we actually did have the same taste. In fact, um, you know, Rosie and the Originals, uh, Angel Baby. I mean, he couldn't believe that I, that was one of my favorite songs. John didn't realize that I had I had the taste. So when I started mentioning all of that, yeah, it was really uh, quite interesting to him because he's, you know, that I knew as much as he, and I was younger than him. Yeah, and so you already had that sort of that level that you was on, on the same kind of level, even at the early stages of the. Uh... Of meeting John, yeah. Yes, and it, it was it was interesting, but it at never one time did I ever think beyond that. You know, it was always work because I worked so many hours in a the day. There wasn't, no, you know, if anybody thought for a moment there was uh, any flirt, there was nothing. I mean, I from morning to night, it was it was constant work, and we were working out of when we worked out of the hotel, for instance, in in seventy one. It was. Uh, morning where you have the the uh, film editors, you know the phone was ringing. You know there's, there was never that much of a, a downtime. No, it was all it was all very professional. Yeah. Yeah. So so, um, May, what 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 singles did you work on with um, with John and Yoko while they're being their personal assistants? Well, um, well, I think let's see, we we worked on on the uh, uh, Happy Christmas single. You know the war is over. Yeah. Uh, and if you see the cover, it, it's the actual original forty-five sleeve is a picture of this group with all these kids and and uh, John and Yoko in the middle sitting down, and there's a group of us standing in the background. And 
and it's very and it's very funny to me now to look at it. And I'm standing the the man that's clinging to my to my to my left is Phil Spector. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So, well, uh, well, you 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 knew that. Obviously, you must have bumped into many famous people while uh, for working for for John and Yoko. Uh many. Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 definitely the truth. I did. I think my favorite of all. Uh, was probably meeting Fred Astaire. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I know. Um, it's it's out of the. It's not in music, but to me, you know, when you're growing up and you, you, the 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 actors of, you know, back in the 40s and 30s were a, a big thing. And um, sure, I mean, it, it uh, meant something to you, you know, didn't you, it? Yes, and you know, if you met a Cary Grant, I mean, those those are, those are real actors. Well, it must have been very strange, oh, yeah. mate, to sort of be trucked in the office situation and having to call up these people, and you know, and, and just you know, talk to talk on the same level with them. It must have been uh, yeah, um, an ex- a good experience. It was uh, the most amazing experience, and it it was it was for me um, just uh, you know, it's a it's a, a chance in a lifetime, and I I couldn't believe that I was I was the one that you know, was able to go up there and say, Mr. Astaire, you know, can you come downstairs? I, you know, I worked for, for John Lennon and Yoko Ono, and they would love to meet you, you know, and, and <laughs> see this man who has been my idol. I mean, how many people can say they met Fred Astaire? No, that's you right. You know, and, and um, you know, it, it was, it, Jack Palance was another. Um, and, you know, there, there were a number of yeah. people in my life when I was working for them at that time that I met. And, uh you know, even though I'm, I've met Dylan, and and but it was just, you know, there, there's a thing about the the old time actors and actresses that really that's something you can't, you can't touch. You know, you, you meet a James Cagney or something. You know, that's sure. something else, another different world. Now, at the time, Yoko was um, branching out into her own music, and what was John very supportive of her of her music career? John was always supportive of of her career. I mean, that was that was him and. Um, you know, she was doing, in fact, we worked on the album, and you asked me, and I'll go back to it, we worked on, um, I worked on the the uh, Fly album with him, I worked on, uh, uh, what was it, the, the Sometime in New York City album, I worked on the one-to-one um, movie, Yeah. Um, I was with their original Imagine, I did their, uh, what was it, uh, working with them on... Um, Let's see. Uh, feeling the space, mind games. Those are the those, those are the ones when I was still working for them. And then of course I I you know I was still uh, I did all the production work um, after on on a couple of the other solo albums of John's. And would you say John was a, a good guy to work for? Oh, he was he was easy in the studio. It was great to see him work. I mean, he was a no nonsense guy when he wanted when he wanted to work. Yeah, you know, contrary to belief, everybody must think that he was out of it, but uh, it really, in in um, you know, it was not. He was not like that. He really, when you walked in, you knew who was the boss. Yeah. Now, what was the relationship like when uh, they're sort of it? When well, what was what was the atmosphere like when the relationship between Yoko and John started to degrade? I mean, what was that? What was that like to live with? It w- everybody who worked around them was feeling you know we we worked in a we tried to ignore it because you know you don't want to get caught up in that or you know no. 
but it was uh, it was uncomfortable. It really was uncomfortable for all concerned. Um, you know, it'd be like I'm I'm in the office um, working on something. John would come in to say, "Oh, I need this today. Can you get this?" And I'll say yes, and he walks out. She walks in within two seconds, and she goes, "Have you seen John?" And the look on my face was like, "You just you didn't see him out in the hall." Right. <laughs> you know, it was it was that quick. Gone that quick, yeah. And uh, yeah, and and. And I thought, wow. And I said, um, and then she says, oh, I guess he went to his office. And then she just walked away. So you could feel the uncomfortableness, and we were all trying to deal with it at the time. So let's pick up the story, May, where Yoko suggests you become John Lennon's girlfriend. I mean, what were you thinking at the time? And, and also, how, how old were you? At that point, I was 22. Right. And um, I thought... Was it? Yeah, uh, I I thought I thought it was absolutely ludicrous and crazy, and I thought she was joking. You know, you're sitting there, you know, and first, you know, without your first cup of coffee in your hand yet. You know, you haven't even had that. And I'm sitting there, and she she comes in, and I'm thinking, oh, she's giving me something to do already, because it it wasn't, um, it was it was always like her that you know that she could all of a sudden, you know. Three o'clock in the morning, she'll call you at home and say, "Oh, I need something for the morning." Yeah. So I I was used to that, but you know, I thought, okay, she's going to come in and ask for something else, and she's sitting across from me, and I've got my my pad, my pen, and I'm ready to write. And she says, "You know, John and I are not getting along." And and I said, "Oh, I'm sorry," which of course we all knew. And and next, and I'm thinking, where is this going? And you know, I thought, oh, she's going to want something else or whatever. And then she says, well, you know, he's going to start seeing other people. And that, as she's saying those words to me, my, my head went into a spin of, oh, no, now what? How many people are going to be in this house? Who do we work for? Is it him? Is it her? It's the X factor, you know? Sure. So, so and then as she's saying this, and, and I'm, I'm, my head is in that mode, all of a sudden I hear, you know, you don't have a boyfriend. And I looked at her and I said, what? <laughs> I said, I'm not interested. Oh, she said, no, no, I know you're not, but I think it might be a good idea because you're, you're kind, you're good, you, you know, he likes you. I said, I'm not interested. She goes, I think you'd be a good person. I said, no, I'm not interested. She goes, I know you weren't after him, but I think it would be a good idea. I said, I'm not interested. And this went on, this bantering went on. She goes, well, you don't want him to go out with somebody that's not. And I said, I said, of course not. She goes, well, then you're perfect. I said, no, I'm not. And then she got up and she goes, you should, and you should go out with him as soon as possible. And she gets up and, and walks out the room. So, so I mean, from... And I sat there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from what you've just said there, would you say that Yoko was quite controlling? Oh, yeah. I mean, in hindsight, you, you start seeing it. She was always, I mean, she was controlling in in other ways, but, you know, more so now, you know. And I'm only 22 trying to figure out what just happened in my office. Now, I had been working for them already like three years. So this was just like, this is insane. Yeah. And why, I mean, without being rude, I mean, obviously you were very attractive. Um, why at the time do you think she picked you from anyone else that she could have picked for John? I have, you know, there's there's a possibility that um, I guess what she may have picked up before is that, that John that John may have liked me and I never even knew that. So she may have, did John confide in her that he liked you? I don't think that, you know, you know, you just don't know what what uh, he might have said that triggered it off. 
Right. And, or, and, you know, what he may, because I have no idea. No. And, and that I, sense and, of, of what they may have said no. to each other. You know, he may have said, oh, yeah, I'd rather have May do this. And, you know, that, if you say it enough time about, oh, I'd rather have May do this, you start to put two and two together. And could you face John for a long time after that? Then was it? No, I couldn't. No, because I don't think he knew what went on. Because when, when later on down the road, when we when we finally um, got a chance to even speak to each other about it, which was down the road, it he didn't know what was going on either. But you would say she had she had come, he, she had come into the room into the bedroom and said, you know, I fixed it for you. And then he said, what are you talking about? He says, I fixed it so you can go out with May. But and he apparently, you know, said, yeah. what are you talking about? She says, I know that you do, you know, that I know you liked her. And, and, you know, how did you know? Now, I know that he could speak in his, and I know he talked in his sleep. So who knows what he may have said. So. Right, okay. But you would say, May, that uh, John chased you. Oh, absolutely. I would never have gone out. I mean, that was just bizarre. People may think she could put two people together. But the thing is, if one really doesn't like the other one, no one's going to go. Well, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yes. So so let's give it a little credit to the to actual that he did make up his mind. It wasn't the fact that she that she, you know, contrary to belief, yeah, you know, but he actually um, he actually chased after me. So, yeah. And we'll say that Yoko inside knew that, you know, that he would be he did like you. Yeah. So it was a Yoko that yes. put it put it together. OK, well, look, I'm going to ask you a bit of an intimate question. Um, when was the sort of first night that you and John stayed together? And how did that happen? Oh, God. Um, the first... Let's see. That actually happened during... When we were in the middle of doing uh, the Mind Games album. Because the fact is that he sent away the car. He sent away, you know, and and then we were forced to, like, as we were leaving, I said, I'll wait for the car because we're not waiting. And he grabbed the cab and I, you know, you can't leave John, no matter what, my, my, my own instincts were, you can't leave this man on the street corner. No. By himself. No. In a, in a seedy area of town. So it was, so when I started to tell the, the uh, taxi driver to run back up to the Dakota, he said, he says, we're not going there. And we started arguing, and the, and the driver looked at us, and I didn't want him to really realize who it was sitting in the back seat. Of course. And chances were going back to your place. Right. So it ended up at my place, and then I shipped him. And then, you know, I, I shipped him home. Yeah. I, I just had to ship him home. And would you say that that was following that, that, you know, after that short period, I mean, would you say you fell in love with him, even though you wasn't really trying to get involved? It It took... It took a while. I mean, you know, I was with him, and I, I just wanted to see where we... It took when we finally... When John... It was actually John's uh, decision to say, let's go out to Los Angeles, where we could be on our own. Okay. That, um, that you know, to just spend some time together. Okay. That we got to know one another. And that's right. when, you know, when you that's when you're with somebody, and that's when you realize if you, you care for someone or not. You know, because when when you're when you're in, under a different environment, you don't fe- you're constantly thinking something else. You know, we were just not in uh, in a place where I wanted to talk about us, and it was not it was not there. I was in a, a work mode constantly. And did it did it ever sink into you? You know, did it did you ever get that feeling? You know, my God, this is John Lennon I'm with. Or was it just a was it was it as 
been with him so long for a professional period that it, it was just, you know, he was just John. You know, he was... <laughs> that's a good question because there was a time I just kept saying, oh, this is just John. But when we went out, it it it, it dawned on me, you know, because all of a sudden it was different. Because, you know, you have the flashbulbs, you have people running up constantly asking for autographs. I just melted into the background. I decided, you know... Um, early on in our relationship, I said, no one's coming to see me. So, you know, it's really about John. And I would always take a back seat. So that's why people would never see me in some of the photographs or, you know, if they catch up. Because uh, I I didn't need to be in there. No. Now, I've got to ask you, uh, May, did you remain on the payroll for uh, John and Yoko? Um, Or were you, I don't know, essentially fired when you started dating him as a girlfriend? Uh... We could say more on the latter. <laughs> okay. Yes. No, I didn't get it. No, the, you know, once I was with John, I was not on the payroll. Although a lot of people would like to to think that that's what happened. No, I was not on the payroll. No. So you sort of kept by John then, in a sense, and. Yes. Yeah. Was there any sort of external work you were doing, or? Well, the 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 work I was doing, um, we, what was it? I would work on on a lot of the production on the um, on the, on the records and things like that. You know, because I, w- I was a contractor, so I would contract. So I did now, in a sense, freelance, oh, okay. as opposed to, yeah, being on a on a quote uh, a payroll working with somebody else. So I was really working for myself. So uh, that I did like when they would have orchestral or hiring and all that stuff. So now that would be that would be whatever money I made out of that. And of course, when you're living with John, he's paying for you know our living. In fact, we didn't actually have. Um, uh, any money, John actually had to borrow the money because all the money was tied up with receivership. And the and at the time, because the the four guys were um, in a in a legal uh, situation, and so everybody was given a salary. Right. And the salary that came to John uh, was spent more at the Dakota. So John got had nothing. So his uh, lawyer arranged for us to borrow money from capital against his royalties, so we could live on something. I see. I see. What, what, so so uh, there's this guy with multi millions. Yet because of the legal entanglement with, with the separation of the of the band members, then uh, there wasn't much uh, much they could spend right. really. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now I, I know people didn't realize he was more paper rich than cash poor, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I've, I've got to go back to uh, Yoko now. I mean, you've got no job, doesn't that? And, and you're with John just as Yoko wanted. Again, that goes to the, 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 the sort of scenario that she was a, a sort of very controlling person because she got what she wanted, in, in essence, didn't she? In an essence, she did. But I think what she didn't count on, which I found out later, she didn't think that John was going to be gone for that long at all. Right. She so, thought it was going to be, uh, um, which I heard through the grapevine, um, from Jerry Rubin, um, you know, the the the, the yippy activist at that time. Um, so, so she she never know, she never saw it carrying on. She, I mean, this this was a runaway thing now, wasn't it? Really. Right now, it was a runaway thing. This was now something that he she did not expect, and um, she she had no idea. And you know, the the idea that. You know, that John didn't speak to her or even talk. Yes, she used to call us all the time. You know, people thought that John was doing the calling. Was actually, she called us all the time. Right. I was going to ask you that question, actually. Yeah, did you stay in contact with her? But you're saying she called you constantly. 
she called all the time when we were out we were out west and uh when we were in new york and you know and and john and i did see her when we were together so it was you know there's that that rumor that goes out that you know uh they never saw each other they're back together they in a sense they they their their uh, friendship and whatever you know their relationship they never it never said oh we never saw that person again yeah they, so you know. yeah so she wasn't just calling up about business stuff it was really just to keep an eye constantly and on, right. on where John was with, well, she with, had I I know for a fact that she had people um, anybody who was coming out to keep an eye on us okay. as it were and to, and to go back and report. Now, the 18 months that you both both spent together, um, a year and a half, when you created yeah. your new book of pictures for uh, Instamatic Karma, you can you can see some really famous people uh, and also intimate pictures put together. Um, is, is that, I mean, w- was you looking to make this sort of picture book when you took these pictures or did it just come about, you know, from um, having the pictures kept over in a box and then trying to do something with them? Well, you know, it, it was... When I took these photos, John actually liked the idea that I took photos, and he he started to see. He said to me, "He goes, I, I don't, I never saw pictures of me that look good." And he goes, "I like the way I look in these photos." So he was always encouraging me to take photos, and you know, and you could see how, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to find out where I did with the Polaroid because I still have pictures I know that are somewhere in this house that I, you know, from all of my moves that I don't know where I've put them. Okay. I've taken them out so many times. But you can see by the cover of my book, which is him taking a photograph of me as I'm taking one of him. That's right. Um, we had we had fun. He loved the idea. Of just As you can see, he, uh, he mugged for the camera for me. And um, it, was, it was just good. And I, I would just put him away. And, you know, we would use yeah. – he, he liked certain photographs. He goes, oh, I think I'd like to use this. Can I use it? And I said, of course you can, you know. And um, – he just he wanted me to just take photos and uh, and this uh, this book came about after you know you're hearing these same stories about about John how he's down and out he was always drunk he was always you know he, he miserable and and then you look and then I would show pictures and I say well this is the way we were and they say how come the photos don't match up with the stories that we hear and these are from other people and I said well because it wasn't like that. No, that's right. So finally, right. one of my friends had finally said, you know what, you've got to put a book out. You've got to put that book out of the photos that you took during your time with him because it, it isn't matching up, and people don't realize that. No, that's right. No, I... So when you, what you see is, is our home life, our time with, with Julian, our time with Paul and Linda or Ringo or David Bowie or, you know, just little snapshots that I would take along the way. And it's even though it's called Instamatic Karma, and it you know people thought it was with an Instamatic camera, but it wasn't. It was with uh, an actual proper thirty-five, a majority, and and some Polaroids in between. And how did you find getting on? Did you get on well with Paul McCartney? Oh, uh, I got on great. Him, Paul, and Paul and Linda were were terrific, and uh, got got on uh, good. They used to come over to our house all the time, also, both in L.A. and in, and uh, New York, and. Um, and Ringo and and uh, George, it was great. I got I got John. I, I think it speaks for itself. Um, when you think about in the time that we were together, uh, which a lot of people, if you if I start naming all these things, you sure. realize what was done. I mean, he was he was more accessible in that year and a half to people than 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 most of his other times um, in his solo career. I mean, he had his only 
number one single with a number one album in his lifetime. Okay, May, we're going to take a break there, so um, stay tuned and we'll be right back with uh, May Pang. To connect with the show, email kevin at themoreshow.co.uk. Listening to the Moore Show, and here's your host, Kevin Moore. Okay, well, welcome back. I'm currently joined with May Pang, former girlfriend of uh, John Lennon. Now, May, was there any songs that you and John collaborated on together? Well, here's here's the thing. Well, after when you uh, after the first um, time that John and I stayed together, the next day he said to me, "Come into my office," and I said, "What?" He goes, "I got something for you. I got. I want you to hear this." And he actually started to write a song for me and he sat and he sang this to me acoustically and which of course is on the album and it's called surprise surprise sweet bird of paradox that's the song that's about me uh then there's a song called number nine dream which a lot of people think it's yoko but it's actually me that's whispering and um and me and laurie burton uh joey dambra and john are also singing the well, we're also the background vocals we're known as the west 44th street fairies which was uh, 44th street was the uh street that this uh record plant studio was on so that's what it was called 
Would you say that a, a lot of the songs that John was inspired to write, would, would you say they sort of came from his dreams? I mean, did he, did he, would he wake up and write in the middle of the night? I mean, how, how would he sort of work? Well, he had his pad and, and his pen by his bed and, um, you know, and if ideas, ideas come to him at, at all different times. And when they would come towards his sleep, it was tough because he had to force himself awake to write the idea down or words down because he knew that if he went to bed, he went to sleep, he would not remember it the next morning. So he had a force. He used to tell me, because I have to force myself awake to remember these. So it's the same thing, like whatever gets you through the night was a phrase that was um, that was inspired by this. We have this on at that point, you know, the, the um, cable had just uh, – come into the TV, and we had this evangelist um, named Reverend Ike, and um, and he he was screaming out that night. And, you know, John was was a big TV fanatic. He loved TV. Yeah, late night TV because it's twenty four seven. He could just hit the cable box, <laughs> and he was screaming. He goes, "Everything you do, whatever you want, you know, whatever gets you through the night." And he just said, "Oh, what a great phrase!" So he wrote that down, and then he started to write a song from the phrase. Now, what was Yoko doing at the time? Was she dating? And, and if she was dating, was John happy for it that, that she's moved on? Or was, was he happy to have moved on? All right, she called us and told us that she, you know, she, was, she was dating, and, and, um, and John was very happy. I actually asked him that, and he said he was very happy. Because he, he said, you know, um, he, he, he wanted her to be happy too. And uh, so it was, it was good. And she was also recording. And she was doing tours, and she was doing her own projects, and uh, yeah, but she was definitely she was de- definitely dating. Now John spoke openly about seeing a UFO, and uh, you were there, uh, correct? And and was it was it in New York? Will, will you tell us a bit about that, please? Well, it was um, on our on our rooftop. You know, when you see that picture of that of the of the T-shirt that says New York City on it, that's where we lived. That was our balcony. And what had happened was that we were we were on our we were on the balcony, and um, and it turned out that all of a sudden, John was out there after, uh, you know, a summer's night, and he's just out there because we faced the East River, and as we were facing the river, you could you know he's just having a, a cigarette smoke and he's looking out and just relaxing, and it's Friday night, and all of a sudden he says, oh, he sees this bright bright light. And he thought, oh, it's got to be from the billboard signs. Now, meanwhile, I'm in the other room looking to put on some clothes because I've just ordered pizza. And so it was quite funny. And so uh, he's standing out there. And on, picture it on top of that's dark. But he's out there standing nude. Right. Out there. Okay. John standing in the buff. And, um, and he realized, he says, wait a minute, we don't live in an area where there's, you know, billboard signs. So he turned his head, and he saw this thing, and he's yelling for me, and now I'm sitting in the other room going, yeah, yeah, okay, fine, I'm not paying attention, and he yells, and he goes, now, and now I come running out, and now we have two people who are in the buff standing out, and, and I'm going, what is that? What are you talking about? Yeah. And, he's, and, I'm, and he goes, look, and I said, I said, oh, my God, and I realized it's a, it's a UFO, and I'm going, and he goes, you're seeing what I'm seeing. I said, and I'm screaming, oh, my God, it's a UFO. And there's nobody, not my neighbor who has a staircase that, you know, 
that they could have come up and said, is this anything wrong? And I'm screaming, and there are not one apartment is lit up anywhere around us. And I, and I realized afterwards, and I watched this thing for about a good solid 10 to 15 minutes. It was slow moving. And it was not that far above my head. I could see the outline. It had white lights that were going on and off. And I had, um, and I had, and it had one solid red light on top. So how close was and it, would you so, say, May? How close was it? I would say it was about two or three stories above our head which is not a, that far away. And I always said that if Reggie Jackson at the time, who was a great baseball player, could hit a home run, he could probably hit this thing. Right, okay. So it's pr- pretty close. close. It was pretty close, and you could see it. There was no noise out of this thing. No, that's a strange thing, isn't it? we could hear it? the street below us. And, and what sort of shape was it? What shape was it, was it, May? It was a round shape. In this case, it was round. And on the bottom, you could see it was... Um, you know, like when you look at a, a car, if it's too hot, the, the heat wave, you know, it's just blurry. Yeah. On the road when you're driving and it's very hot. Yeah. It's the same thing. You can see this underneath the, the, uh, the ship. So sort of like a shimmery kind of effect, some sort of... A shimmery thing, right. Yeah. Like as if this was a hot, you know, you can see it all just, you know, just shaking, you know, a little wavy thing. Well, that, that, that's... And a... I'm looking at it going, oh, my God. Yeah, that's a classic sort of UFO description. I mean, uh, how, how long was the was the craft there for? Well, it it was so weird because it it took its time coming down, and it went sideways at one point. And I just looked at it, going, it just went sideways. And I'm staring at it. I'm looking through with binoculars with my and I had my camera that that had um, surveillance film, in, and I said, let me see if I could take anything. And later on, when it was developed, it looked like my whole film had just been uh, overexposed. Do you know if there was any calls from anyone to authorities that night of other strange yeah, objects? Yeah, apparently we had some people, we had uh, someone call up and they called like the local police station and, and, and the Daily News, not the New York Times, but the Daily News. And a couple of people had said they had spotted something strange. One of them had said that they had gotten... Um, a strange call along the round in the 80s. We lived in the 50s in, in numbers, if you know Manhattan. Sure. We lived in the 50s and um, in the 80s along the East River. And I said, well, then that makes sense because we lived in the 50s on, along the East River. So it was traveling down by the river. And if you looked in the distance when it finally, it, when it was climbing up towards the sky and it was slowly moving upwards, if you, I looked at it in the distance, I said, you know what? Nobody would know the difference. Because you could see a helicopter, you would think it's another ship, another, you know, not a ship, but a, a helicopter, a plane. I see. You wouldn't think of it as any, anything out of the ordinary. Well, that would explain why maybe other helicopters in the vicinity never came to sort of survey it, if you know what I'm... Right. Yeah. It just would never... Because I watched it travel down. I saw it hover over this one building on 23rd um, uh, on the East River. And, and I remembered the ship going... It sped up a little, then it slowed down. I watched it in various speeds, and I'm just—I stood at the balcony watching it for the longest time, and then finally I saw it moving, and I said, "Oh God, it's going towards Brooklyn," and we were trying to call some friends. It's coming over towards you. It's going to go to Brooklyn or something, and and then all of a sudden I see it went straight up. So what what did the experience do for you and John? I mean, how did it change John? Did it change yourself? I think I always believed there were 
you know, there were uh, um, other life, you know, somewhere else. Um, and I always believed that there were probably UFOs out there. I mean, I, I can't think that we could be the only uh, beings in this universe. Sure. I mean, that, that to me would be silly. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I think it just reaffirmed. And I think that John felt the same way. It just reaffirmed our beliefs that there are other other beings out there. So you were both sure. So you were both very excited. And did you call your friends to tell them what had happened? Oh my God! Yes, I think one one of them said, "Did May see it? Can you put her on the phone?" (laughs) Just (laughs) to make sure. I was the. I'm always the the you know the the person who's. Stable. I don't. I didn't drink. I didn't take drugs. I think my 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 worst vice in those days was just drinking Coca Cola constantly. I'm surprised that I still have a stomach left after all that. The classic Coke, hey? Eh? You know, but I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I was I was, uh, I was a big. Uh, well, they call it classic, but that that old formula. And I used to have bottles. And anybody who came uh, to our home, whether it be in Los Angeles or New York, you, the bottom part of the shelves are lined. <laughs> In those days, there were no cans; they were bottles. That's right. That's they right. Were bottles of Coke. And there were no drugs involved, no. None. 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 So, because you know, I I didn't I didn't take any. I didn't you know that's not something I, no. I did, and it was just uh, so it was quite interesting to see this. Yeah. And you know, two people screaming. I mean, you know, we're in the and we're in our commando outfits there, uh, and you know, and and. Why would I even say that, you know, if I thought that I had, uh, if there was something else involved, you know? Well, well, uh, I just remember it. It was Friday, and I remember it because in New York City, in our, where we live, and I kept saying, why isn't anybody home? And then I realized, we're talking summer, Friday night, in this area, everybody's out to the Hamptons. Of course they are, of course they are. And, um, well, it must have been an experience just meant for you and John. Must have been, and I and I... Learn to to always look up in the sky because you just never know. No, that's right. What, what else? And I actually did see one other one, one other time. And this was with John or another friend or? No, without John. Without and John. I, and I learned to, to you know, because you look up in the sky, you just don't know what you're seeing because they blend so well. That's right. That's right. They so, do indeed. You know, I'm just happy I got a chance to see one. And to see with John the, with the first time was the most amazing. Now, did John um, do drugs back then with friends? I mean, was that was that a recreational well, calm yeah, down? Yeah, you know, recreational. It was not. Um, I, in fact, you know, they they would come over, and uh, it got to the point that you know they they somebody always had something. Yeah. And I I hated I hated that, and uh, at one point even John says I just can't handle it anymore. I wish they stop, you know. And he they when he would. At one, he would just get fed up too, because he didn't. He says, "I don't like it." He got so used to me not just we just wake up and go do things. Yeah, we go out for breakfast, take walks. I take it on a bus ride in New York City or in L.A. We just get in the car and I drive and go somewhere. That he got to that to experience things without having to have something uh, to enhance him. Sure, you know? to, to get he was enjoying it to get the normal high of life and uh, just to enjoy the normal right. things. Yeah, 
Well, I can appreciate and he that. Was, he, he, was, he loved it a lot, too. So that's why when people, when we were back in New York, it was a total different feel. He couldn't handle, um, he hated Los Angeles for that. He said, it's like a party all night. He goes, like, you can't enjoy anything. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody wanted to see the new kid on the block, and John was definitely the new kid on the block. Now, compared, you know, because Harry Nielsen was such a, a, uh, a party animal, and I, I would say that, because this, he never knew when to stop. No, and that's part of the problem. Threw him out. Yeah. He just that's you know, that's it. Yeah. Now, 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 May, you you did encourage John to get back in contact with his um, with his son Julian, and uh, I think it was John's first wife that acknowledged that. And and there's pictures in your book of of them sort of meeting up again, isn't there? Yeah, and then it, and I was always very happy to to see that because uh, I truly believe that you know you you know here's a boy who's looking for his father and um and i wanted him to to be with his father and let and have john acknowledge you know here be part of his life and i thought it was very important i i believe in that family issue you know i believe there's a a family that you have you should be together um and and I had no problems. I was not the, you know, I didn't break up the marriage, obviously, uh, with Cynthia. And I, and I, Cynthia is a lovely woman. And I could, and you know, for me, it was, it was great that I could also, uh, I was able to open up that line of communication between her and John, and they could resolve whatever they had, and then they could move on to the next level. Sure. You know? So let me. And uh, it was it was good, and I, Cynthia's still one of my best friends, and I, I she's wonderful. She's a wonderful woman. Oh, that's wonderful. You see, you kept in contact with her, yeah, yeah. Yes, over the years, and I mean, she on the back of the the Instamatic Karma book, uh, you know, she she wrote the passage along with Julian, so they wrote that passage for oh, me. So she endorsed it. That's cool. Okay. Now, if we skip right to the end, very end of the relationship with John, so let's sum- summarise it. You were together for 18 months between 73 and 75, both in love, I don't know, looking to buy a house, and, and John was looking again to work with Paul. Then Yoko invites John over to the, her house in Dakota for a hypnosis session to stop John from smoking. And this is really when the relationship changed overnight. Now, tell me about this, please. Well, the only thing I can tell you right now is the fact that I had a bad feeling because she was so insistent on having him come that day. And you, you can't, you know, you always have, you, you got your gut feeling and you just have, you, you just roll with it. And I did. And I, and I told him, and he said, there's nothing to worry about. Don't worry. And he said, listen, I'll be home uh, this evening. Let's go out for a nice dinner, wherever you want to go. And then uh, let's make plans and uh, get ready to go see Paul and Linda down in New Orleans. And as he's walking out the door, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, I could just, I, I just did not like the feeling. And um, she wouldn't let me speak to him. It, it was a whole, you know, it was a whole control thing at, over the weekend. And by the time I did get to see him, I looked at him, and he looked strange. And I said, what actually happened? He goes, I don't know. He goes, I drank some tea. I was throwing up. And, you know, and then all of a sudden something and he couldn't even explain, it, and all he could say was, "Yoko's allowed me to come home." Right. I said allowed. Yeah. And, well, I, and I thought, mm, interesting. That's interesting choice of words. That's weird, isn't it? Yes, and so, um, 
I just leave it from there. I think everybody else can, you know, you can make up your mind. So on, basically, like, how it goes from there. hypnotized and changed his feelings overnight, and the the relationship was I over. Would, I, I just don't think it was, you know, I don't think now in hindsight it was just only hypnotism, but it, I think that was part of it. You that know? was part part of something and, that, she, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. And then uh, on top of that, but our love was so strong that. You know, she even said, you know, he goes, I could, I'm going to, he, he couldn't stop calling me. Yes, because wasn't, and, you, wasn't you still physically intimate with John, even though uh, yeah. he was back, in a sense, with Yoko? Well, she said that he could do, he could, it was good for immigration uh, that, that they stay in that, that, you know, that they looked like they were together. And he was having the toughest time with that, because... In essence, he really still, we, we really emotionally didn't break up. No. We were still together. And uh, we, were, we had just was about to buy the house. It was the whole thing. And um, it, so, it, was, it was not, and he called me, Doug, that's the year that he died. I mean, he called me from South Africa. Right. And this was and, bef- obviously uh, before he ended up back in, uh, was it Dakota he was assassinated? Was it, was it, was it New York? Okay. Yeah. It, it was a few months before. A few months before, okay. Yeah, it was a few months before. I mean, he called me from, every, you know, in the, in the last five years uh, while he was living uh, at the Dakota. I mean, he called yeah. me from, from various places, and he would come over and see me when, when um, he, you know, when he was out, yeah. when Yoko would be out of town or whatever, and, and we would sit and talk. We'd talk about music. We would talk about what we liked. Um, you know, I know people couldn't understand. I, You know, there's a song... Uh, by the little by the little river band called reminiscing and um and he said i heard this song on the radio and and, and he goes and i really like it and then, and then he goes and he started to hum it and i said oh don't tell me i think i have this song he goes you do and i would pull it out and uh, i would i put the record and he goes that's it that's the one and i said and i said you like the song he goes yeah he goes every time i hear it i think of us i think of you well, so, I, I, I did read that um, John's uh, journalist friend, Larry Kane, who wrote in a book about, yeah. was writing a book about uh, Lennon, and he detailed, Lennon did detail uh, that he called his relationship with you the lost weekend, and he did state in the, uh, in the book that uh, it was the happiest he'd ever been, you know, he loved you, basically. Yeah, and you know, so that's why I probably, you know, I wanted the world to know that you know what despite what anybody reads or you know um you know it was different and it was what you put out to the persona because where he's at what what went on um on his public side but on his private side it was a total different thing of course and uh, and I just wanted to show that he wasn't a drunk we had some great times we enjoyed we in fact i mean if you if you really um put it together he was the most accessible to people. He was very friendly. People can come and talk to him. He was playing DJ. You know, we were we were doing a lot of work. I mean, we we were working with Elton. We were uh, at Madison Square Garden. And that also, we got the tickets for, for Yoko. And she, you know, it was not that she didn't know that John was performing. We told her. Yeah. And so, and then he wrote his uh, number one song with, with David Bowie, Fame. And then he, uh, you know, we were working with Ringo and with stuff there and Harry Nielsen so and and Mick Jagger also so we've we've done a few things together yeah definitely definitely I mean how did his uh, death affect you it was total disbelief 
you know, it, you, you can't, you couldn't imagine that somebody had just done this in front of his home. And, and I'm, and I'm, I just, I was just so totally shocked. And, and I remember getting back to, the, I left, I, in fact, I was not far from the Dakota when it happened. And, um, and I came home. I ran. I ran home. Yeah. I was supposed to have dinner, and I didn't even see the dinner. I just ran home, and the phone was ringing, and uh, it was Ringo's assistant, uh, executive secretary, and she called him. She said, she said to me, she goes, "What's the number to the hospital?" And I said, "Joan, it's over." I said, "It's it's too late." Yeah. And all she could, she just screamed at me. She said, "What's wrong with your bloody country?" She said, "I got to get off the phone and call everyone." And mm. so, and then at that moment, I also I remember talking to. Uh, David Bowie's uh, assistant uh, secretary, because she, you know, because David and I, we met David um, together. Um, so I wanted David to know, and he was out on a date, and she and she said, I, come down here, I don't want you to be alone. And uh, I, she goes, I'm going to find David, he's out on a date, but I'll find him. And... Um, and we just and he came and he came in and he just couldn't believe it either. He goes, "What is wrong with everyone?" Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you ever? It was, it was just. Do, do you ever feel feel that John's there with you sometimes now? I do. I don't. Um, I do. I don't. I I don't say all the time. Yeah. Um, I do. I know when he's around. I just know it because there are certain things. I would say something, and then something happens that I know that only I would know that that's relevant to me that's right or people have actually witnessed this one i'll say something like oh um i said you know i just feel that john's been around me and i don't know why and they said well you know they would say oh yeah yeah you know that's that's uh that's obvious and i said no it isn't because i don't talk about that so well mate we've got us we've got to sum this up so how would you sum up the music genius of john lennon you know, it's it's hard to say how do you sum it up except the fact that he was just given, he was born with this talent and he was able to give it to and share it to with us all. Well, May Pang, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. To find out more information on May Pang, just go to my website, which is themoreshow.co.uk and look up May Pang under past guests. And don't forget you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter to get the latest updates on the shows. And that we have a TV show which goes out on Sky 201 and FreeSat 403 every Friday from 6pm. So until next time, thanks for listening.